Gentlemen, I introduce Devon Franklin. How's Houston doing tonight? All right. Well, no, it's good to see you. Glad to be here. Yes. First time at the so Breakfast Club. We are so excited you are here. Yeah. In this weather, in this traffic, we're here. We're happy. Okay, so let's just go ahead and get started. We've all been waiting, so let's go. I want to go ahead and start with a quote that you um, first mentioned in the book. So everyone knows a dog who has full run of a house and follows no orders. Dogs like these are disobedient and can even be dangerous. Taking a dog who does not know how to sit or stay to an off-leash park could put him and other dogs and people there at risk. So that quote, if you replace it with the word man, it makes so much more sense. I'm going to read it real quick again. Everyone knows a man who has full run of the house and follows no orders. Man, men like these are disobedient and can even be dangerous. Taking a man who does not know how to sit or stay to an off-leash park could put him and the other men and people there at risk. So can you elaborate on this a little bit? Well, but wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to be very clear. When y'all read this book, in the introduction I say men are not dogs. I want to be very clear about this. It's a really important distinction. And I would have never read it that way because I think the, the implication is that you know, we're comparing ourselves to something that we are not. So the reason why I use the metaphor is to describe how lust can operate in us. So what lust can operate is very selfish, right? So I define lust as a selfish impulse for personal, professional, financial, or sexual fulfillment uh, by any means necessary, even if those means are detrimental. And so, you know, when I look at my own lust and I was trying to figure out how do I describe it, you know, I was saying, well, it really behaves like an untrained dog. And what that means is that an untrained dog, no matter how cute it is, if you leave it by itself, it's a nuisance to itself and everyone else. Because it has no discipline, has no self-control. It wants what it wants, whatever it wants, however it wants it. So I believe as men, when we give ourselves over to lust, then we can behave as a dog, even though we are not dogs ourselves. And it's just a metaphor. So I also say that in men, we all have love in us too. Uh, We have love of ourselves, love of God, love of the master, love of uh, the women in our life. When we as men put love and control of lust, when we master the dog, because I use the, ma- the metaphor of the master to articulate love, when we put love and control of lust, when we master the dog within, we can become the men we were called to be. And so in that particular example, as you read it, what I would say is that really the better uh, word to put in there is lust. Okay. You know what I mean? And I think that's where most uh, men aren't always honest about our struggle in that area, and most women don't know how deeply we struggle in that area. And so I wanted to use that metaphor to point to the problem, but also to point to uh, what we can do about it. Right. Because a lot of times our behavior as men, you know, there's a reason why the idea of, you know, are men dogs and that question has persisted because a lot of times when we allow the dog in us to run our life, we can behave as something that we are not. And so I wanted to say, hey, listen, we aren't this, but each one of us struggles with this. But here's how we get the victory over it. So I wanted to use the metaphor to, to, to help us have a framework to understand where we are, where we can go. Right, so how we can kind of compare. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I wanted to clarify, clarify, clarification is important. <laughs> Another current like buzzword that you used was um, toxic masculinity. So uh, like this idea that men, particularly black men, 
um, having to be hypermasculine. I've seen men ask boys in kindergarten, is what you quoted, um, how many girlfriends do you have? And so, how much of a role do you think this type of behavior plays in the type of men these boys become? Well, I think one of the challenges is most men, especially men of color, um, have an absence of fathers in our house. I know I did. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book. Um, you know, as a kid, and my father died when I was nine years old. And, um, you know, he died of a heart attack when he was 36. And, you know, I, did not even, I didn't want to go to the funeral. It was so painful for me. So he left me and my older brother, my younger brother, to be raised by my mother, my grandmother, and her seven sisters. And so, you know, I always had a pretty, even though he struggled with alcoholism, I had a pretty good view of my father because my mother never spoke negatively about him. So in my teenage years, you know, I had this revelation that really rocked my world, which was I was at a family member's house, and I was going through pictures, and I saw a picture of my mother, my father, and a female family member sitting on a bed. And the thing that was so interesting about the picture is that my mother was upset. You could tell she was really unhappy. Uh, but my father and that female family member were smiling. And so I began to persist. What's going on in this picture? What's happening? Come to find out that as soon as I began to ask the question, finally someone in the family told me the truth, that my father cheated on my mother with that female family member in the picture. Yeah. Right? I'm like, whoa, is this an episode of Have and Have Not? So what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and so it, uh, it rocked my world as a young man, because I was like, wait, if my father cheated on my mother, can men be faithful? Can, can, what, what? Yeah, I mean, can, can we be faithful? Do all men cheat? These were the questions that I began to ask. And so as I began to ask these questions, um, the answer that came back to me was shocking. I would ask the women in my family, hey, so do all men cheat? And they would say, yes, 99% of all men cheat. I'm like, yo. Well, that's what I said. I said, you guys are saying it like, okay, the sun's going to shine. Right, right. Either the sun's going to set, and in the middle, the man's going to cheat. So as a kid, I was like, well, is this, what do you mean? Is it possible to be faithful? Is it possible to, you know, honor our commitment? And then I began to ask the question, well, why is it so hard? Because there's been so many men of so many walks of life who've struggled with commitment. Men, you know, of, of, of integrity, you know, men who, who have done so much good in the world, but had a hard time even at that commitment. And I began to ask the question, why? And what can we do about it? So going to the question, you know, as young men, when we don't have a model for fidelity or commitment or fatherhood, we're left so many times to figure it out by ourselves. And we live in a culture that promotes a certain idea of what men are supposed to be. Yeah. And I talk about this in the book, I call this the box. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to have money. You're supposed to get women. Uh, you're not supposed to cry. And anytime a man, especially growing up, doesn't fit the box, we're met with violence. Stop crying. You're acting like a winner. What's wrong with you? So what do we learn? Suppress. Don't communicate. Do what we're told so we can survive. So then, if, if it means that getting women is what makes me a man, then I'm going to do that. But here's what happens. The more that we do that, we begin to feed the dog within, not the master within. And as a man, when I have an appetite in dating for multiple women, and then I try to go get married and say, I do, and say, okay, the dog's going to go to sleep. Right. It doesn't work that way. 
Because all of a sudden you have an appetite for, for more than one, and then you get married and say, now I'm going to stay in one, but you have no practice with that. So as I begin to really delve into this, I begin to realize as men, and especially teaching our young men, we have to, to reframe what manhood means. The more is not the better. As men, we have to curb our appetite. We have to learn that boys play, men really commit. I'm going to say that again. Y'all go ahead and tweet that. Boys play, men commit. Because so often, even, even you know, in my own life, you know, I began to wrestle with this revelation. And again, I, write, I don't write this book from me pointing the finger. Right? I'm not pointing the finger uh, at any man. I'm not victimizing or villainizing men. I'm saying, yo, me too. In me. I'm a married man. I have a dog in me. And I have a master in me. I have love and lust, and they both war with one another, and every day I work on making sure that I am who I say I am by leading with love, not lust. Mm -hmm. It's work every day. And even in my dating life, even though you know Megan and I rewrote the way years ago, even though I was waiting, they didn't always make me a good dater. Because here's what it was what happens. As men, when we buy into this idea that the more the better, we tend to find our validation in how many women we date. And other men encourage that. And so what happens is we no longer look at women as people, as humans, as God's daughters. We look at them as objects of our conquest. So I wrote this book to say to men, we have to bring that to an end. I say on the, on the other side of what we call being a player is a heart of somebody that we intentionally may be manipulating. And we're going to move on from the situation, but they may live with the hurt the rest of their life. And so I say for men... We gotta stop because I had this vision, which I talk about. I had this vision that God gave me while I was dating, and I was at the altar, and I was getting ready to get married, and and the, and the minister said, "Look behind you," and behind me was all the women I dated. But here's the issue: they were all cut open, they were slain, and God said, "Do you think it was worth all of them to get here?" He said, "Don't play with my daughters." Please. But quick question, back you up just a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so um, I know that throughout the book, you're constantly talking about how men are struggling with taming the beast yes. and love, which the beast is love. Yes. So can you give them just one thing that, because you mentioned several things to yeah. help you tame the, the beast. Yeah, but can yeah. you give them one that you think really works to help them tame that urge and those yeah. thoughts? Sure. Um, and then I also want, I'll hit that from the man's point of view and then what women need to do. Perfect. Because uh, this book is not what women need to do better. Right. That book has been written. I think, again, this is my opinion. I think the women, the women, you all are doing your work. And thank you for it. Uh, as men, we got to do our work. It's time for us to become better. And we can become better. And we will become better. But that's what this book is about. So what I talk about, you know, in terms of managing urges, as men, we're never taught, okay, when the dog starts to bark, how do you handle it? Because a lot of times we have an urge we want to do. We get hungry and want to eat. And most of the times when we have an urge that's strong and we immediately try to fulfill it, we choose the wrong thing. So like when we get hungry and we're trying to stop that hunger pain, most of the time we just reach whatever's in front of us. And usually it's the wrong thing. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to eat right. I'm trying to be on a diet. I'm hungry. Give me those Doritos. Give me those plain hot Cheetos. I know I said I wouldn't eat them, but you know, I'll start tomorrow. So as men, what I put in the book is, let's take a 10 count. Because you gotta create space between the feeling and the action. When you do that, it's like, okay, just because you're hungry doesn't mean you have to eat. 
And if you're a committed man and you're a married man, it's like, okay, I'm hungry, right? I have this urge, but now's not the time to fulfill it. The second thing I talk about is play out the consequences. Right now, if you're in a committed relationship or you're in a marriage and you have an impulse to go outside your marriage or your relationship, play out the consequences. Put yourself right now. You end up sleeping with this other woman. Put yourself in the morning after. Put yourself in having to go home. You know, or your girl asks you, where were you? Or your wife asks you, where were you? And you have to make up a lie. Put yourself in, and all of a sudden, she finds out. Put yourself in the fact that if you have children, that she decides that she wants to take the children and move because she's so messed up. Play it all the way out. And then now come back into the present. Can you live with the consequences? Use the consequences to then say, i got to make a better choice. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I talk about in the book is that it's so important for us just to admit, hey, I struggle because there's so much suppression. We don't want to tell the truth. We want, you know, it's very easy for me to sit up here in front of all y'all and say, oh, look at me. I've mastered this thing. Oh, my I great? Are you kidding me? Hey, listen, we, it, you know, it's a wrestle every day, yeah. right? To put love in control of lust, uh, a sacrifice in control of selfishness. And when we admit that, there's power in it, not weakness. And so often in relationships, we're not honest. So part of the way to get control of an urge is to admit, hey, I feel this urge. It's here. But sometimes just by feeling it and acknowledging it, it helps it pass. Urges that are ignored persist. Urges that are acknowledged usually end up going away. Why is this important to women? Because for women, you've got to know who you're dealing with. And this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Because I don't believe any of us can be successful with something we don't understand. And I would argue, and this is my thesis, that most women don't understand men. Amen. I would say amen. Y'all write me, because I know you don't. And so I wrote this book to give you understanding. Because once you have more understanding, you can be more successful. Right? So this knowledge will help you. So you can identify, are you dealing with a man who's leading with the master or the dog? Are you dealing with a man who's intentional or not? Are you dealing with a man who only wants to use you in moments when he hasn't urged, but when the urge is not there, he cannot be found? Mm -hmm. Somebody just now on that? <laughs> but here's why I say this, because it's important for us as men to do our work, but it's also important for women. That it's re the reality is that not every man is going to choose to do their work. But that doesn't mean you have to be subject to the work they choose not to do. Yeah. This book will empower you to say, oh, I get it. So like, for example, um, there was a young lady who wrote me with a true testimony. And she said, you know, I read the first chapters of the book, and I was so excited, I went out on a date. Went out on a date, and guess what? The, me and the man, we prayed on the first date. She said, oh, this is great. He was showing me the master. I said, cool. She went on the testimony. She said, but by the third date, <laughs> he wasn't trying to pray. <laughs> he was trying to do something else. And, uh, and she said, you know what? She said, I didn't even get upset. She said, because I read the book, I had knowledge. And I said, oh, you wanted me to think you were leading with the master. But really, it was just cover for wanting the dog to be fed. And she said, I didn't get upset. I didn't even let. She's like, you know what? That's not what I want. So, hey, that's okay, that's where you are, but that's not what I want. So she ended up putting in the situation and, and kept moving. And she said, thank you for the knowledge, because normally she would have got mad, upset, she would have internalized it. But she said, oh, God, that's what he's interested in. That's not what I'm interested in. Yeah. Well, you know what, um, since you mentioned that, because I was going to say as well, 
when you do, because you did mention in the book that you should be upfront, you should be honest about yeah. your intentions. And so when a woman does, you know, speak to a man about her intentions, and it's not what she wants to hear, how do you go, reverse that conversation, like how do you get out of that situation and that conversation? Because it's not what you want to hear, so how do you handle yeah. hearing what you do not want to hear? Like, and anybody ever been there before? Come on, y'all, let's have an honest moment in the breakfast club. Anybody been there before? Okay, okay. Just out. <laughs> My sister over here winking up. <laughs> All <laughs> oh, the lashes, she said. <laughs> okay, so so it, you know, there's a movie uh, from back in the day called A Few Good Men. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the famous line that Jack Nicholson says is, "You can't handle the truth." Right. Right. And and but here's but one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I think it's it's time for us not to be afraid of the truth. And so for a woman in that scenario, here's what I believe: it's better to know earlier than to get the same answer later. Yeah. Because by that time, not only is that answer going to be more painful, but you've already invested more. So it's so important when it comes to a dating situation, first and foremost, anybody in dating, I think you've got to go into it evaluating if this person is even worthy of your long-term airspace. Because just because you're going on a date doesn't even mean that that's like, you know what, I'm just checking you out. Do I even want to spend time with you? Are you even somebody that really is going where I'm going? But I don't even know you yet. So I'm going to take a little bit of time just to get to know you. And then if I decide, oh yeah, you know what? This is somebody that, that really is, uh, it seems to be going where I'm going. Then i got to ask questions. Why? Because I talk about this in the book. And I'm telling you, listen, I'm so excited about this book. I don't know what to do. Because I just feel like, you know, God is just giving me some revelation and truth that I know for certain can help every single person in here, which is this. A lot of times, when we as men have not committed to doing our work and mastering the dog within the dog likes to manipulate. So what that means is that when we are seeking pleasure without responsibility or accountability, many times we can we can intentionally put a woman in a gray area. What does that mean? It means we see her every day, we text her, we talk, we go out, but never have we said we're committed. So in the gray area, it looks like a relationship, but we aren't really sure. This is so important to get truth and clarity. Why? Because a man knows what he said and what he hasn't. So if a man is not expressed, hey, we're committed, I guarantee you that man thinks you're not. I've, there's so many women that come to me and they're like, well, I'm afraid to find out. Why? Uh-oh, somebody laughed. I'm not being looking in that direction. <laughs> Listen. Y'all listen, I, I'm hoping that what I'm saying is going to help. I don't mean that there's somebody here dating and y'all be on a date and you have, you're in a gray area. Hallelujah, tonight the light's coming on. It's coming on. And all of a sudden it got hot in here. Got hot. I'm just giving you my truth here. Um, but here, here's why it's so important to get clear, going back to the question, is that we have to make our fears, especially in relationships, our to-do list. The very thing we're afraid of, where do we really stand? If I ask, will he leave? If I ask, will it mess this up? Actually, it won't. It will reveal what it is. So ask clear, direct questions, and don't settle until you get clear, direct answers. It's really important, because sometimes we can talk around. You know, we get asked a yes or no question, and then we start getting into all this. And then also, if, if, if you're asking somebody a yes or no question, and they get angry, 
please do not let their anger detour you or distract you. Yes. They're getting angry because they don't want to tell you the truth. Right. So the anger is going to throw you off instead of being a situation where you tell the truth. So I think it's so important to not be afraid. Get clarity. Why? Because at the end of the day, put your own well-being, your heart, your soul as your priority. Because I've seen this too many times, and this is also one of the reasons I wrote the book. I believe that as men, we have inflicted too much pain on the lives of women. And it's time for us to heal the pain. By being honest, by being intentional, sometimes if we don't do our work, you all say, hey, uh-uh, I'm not going to let you get by on what I used to let you get by on. we got to have some accountability, we got to have some responsibility, and we got to have truth. And I think through that, we can put ourselves as men in a position where we no longer inflict pain. And we can also put ourselves in a position where we can help facilitate the healing that needs to happen in our culture and community. Okay, so really, uh, let's take a little quick second and um, do an audience question. Yeah, please. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Anybody have a question? question? Right here, thanks. My sister batting her eyes. Yeah, I said, wait, my head don't work. I think they're just trying to say, don't ask this question. Okay, so uh, I've recently single. Um, I've been dating, and I guess in, because I'm an entrepreneur, I have my own salon, a lot of men look at me and are threatened for some reason. I have some that are saying, oh, I want your time. I'm like, okay, we'll set something up. And then they're like, I'm scared. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm scared of. Like, I'm not creepy looking. I'm not mean. So like, what are they threatened by? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, you know, going back to the box. So men are, are uh, two things. Uh, men are taught, you know, when you're in that box, the man box, you know, you have to be the provider, you have to be the breadwinner, you have to be all of these things. And sometimes when they're not, it produces an insecurity. The other thing is a lot of times as men, we find our value in doing and not being. And when we aren't doing enough at a certain period of time in life, we don't feel as good about ourselves. So a man can come across you, he may not feel good about what he's doing in life, and he sees how well you're doing in life, and he's like, oh man, I'm not at her level. I'm not, I'm not worthy yet. Like, I gotta step my game up. Like, you know, and so as a man, sometimes we don't know how to handle that. That doesn't make it right, but it's true. One of the reasons why I wrote this book is to remind me that, listen, it's about being and not doing. And I know, listen, when Megan and I got together, she made way more money than me. And my response was, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm like, yo, that doesn't make me less than, that's great. You know, I think it's amazing why, because two become one, right? So what I got and what you got ultimately in marriage is what we got. And, and, it's, and it was a blessing in so much of, I think, of that came because I was secure with where I was. So, so much of it is, is not about you, it's about him. And if you, if you get into a relationship with a man like that, it's okay, but just be mindful that he may need some extra care in that area of sensitivity for him. You don't need to become less. Don't dim your light, right? But if God has called you two together, you may need to just continue to affirm the master in him. No, I mean, that's a good idea. Go do that. Yeah. You know, I know a lot about business. I can help you with your business. That kind of thing. Just so that you're sensitive to the insecurity. So but I had that situation. Yep. And it was in a gray area. It left us in a gray area. Like, he wasn't there. I was still supporting, mm -hmm. motivating. I never made him feel less than as a man. And I still, to this day, you know, pump him up. I'm still your cheerleader, but... Did you ever get clarity? Did you ever no. say, hey, why aren't we together? No. Okay. Like, I gotta free you. And I'm like, free me for what? I don't even know who we are. Okay, good. But this is great. So this is, but this is why. Okay, 
This is great. I love it. We are having an awesome time tonight. Man, this is good. That's why we do what we do. I love it. Hold on. So here's, here's the thing. You can, you can go uh, find the question. Here's the thing. Here's why this is so important. It's important to get clarity. What are we? What is your understanding? Where are you going in life? And what is important to you? Don't even allow yourself, if you are in a gray area or have been in a gray area, commit that you're never going to be in a gray area again so that you can get clarity. Because once you know, hey, I'm interested or I'm not interested, the gray area goes away. Now you know what it is. And now I can make the decision to go with it or not. So everybody here on your phone, you have the Uber or Uber Lyft app. How many people have the app on your phone? Okay, the majority of us. When you call the app, uh, when you call a car and you go out and you get in the car, the first thing you do is check, is this the car that I'm calling? And is this car going where I want to go? If you've ever been in, in, in a car that somebody else called that's going the wrong direction, what do you do? You get out. So why don't we check where somebody's going before we get in their car for dating? I'm talking to somebody right now. I just see up somebody right now. Somebody go and leave right now. And leave your day right here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's just it's just so important to find out where somebody's going and decide if that's the direction you want to go, and if not, don't go with them. Yes, my brother. Okay, so I have this, um, well, I'm a writer, right? So I have this um, screenplay called Have It Regardless. I call them projects. Um, so it's about uh, my barber. He wants to uh, choose between two women. And what I drew, drew from that was when I was taught in high school, um, about how you have to have at least two girls, pretty much, so you don't get your heart broken. So pretty much like that, that's what I was pretty much taught from a friend. So that's what the, um, the screenplay goes on, it's a comedy. So, so what do you think about, you know, just having two women until you get that right girl between both of those? <laughs> okay, all right, good. You got a question, it's all right. <laughs> uh, here's what I would say. <laughs> Man, I got everybody talking. Lord have mercy. Here, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. Um, if a man is, if somebody was doing to your mother, your sister, your daughter, what you might be doing to someone else's mother or sister or daughter, and you don't like that, then why would you do it to them? So, I think as it relates to dating two or dating three, I think it's important to, to really get clear on why, where is that coming from? What is the motivation to feel the need for validation in so many different people? And what are you actually getting out of it? My thesis is that when men, when we do that, we feed the dog in us, we feed the lust in us. And that lust becomes so strong that the love in us can't actually have what it needs in order to get control and discipline. So I would challenge that man, why are you dating two? And if you are dating two, do both of them know that you are not in a mode where you are ready to commit, that you're dating multiple people, and that they're clear? Or are you keeping one in the dark because you're afraid to lose them? I would challenge that man from that behavior, because I believe that behavior ultimately doesn't lead to success. I believe learning and practicing commitment in dating only prepares them for the very best in life. 
So that's what I would say, and I would say if you're writing a script, it might be great to incorporate some of those ideas. A man who thinks that it's about more and realizes it's really in the power of one. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because since it's so difficult for me, you know, stated in your book, to control that lust, and they have to constantly remind themselves and do uh, things to help them control that. Do you do you think that we're really meant to be in a monogamous relationship since it's so difficult? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not an anthropologist or a sociologist, but I did touch on this in the book. And from the research that I've done, we are at a time where whether we are naturally, you know, monogamous or polygamous, we actually can adapt to the choices we make and enjoy those choices. So if we choose to be monogamous, we can actually adapt to monogamy and enjoy it. What I would say, though, is if somebody believes that they are polygamous, then don't engage in monogamous relationships. Because what I have seen is that people may have this polygamous mindset, but they kind of pass it off as if, oh, no, I'm monogamous, and then they get in a situation where they're committed and you're further down the road, and then they start saying, oh, well, by the way, I don't actually believe that we're meant for one, and I want to start bringing some people into this situation. <laughs> no, if that's how you feel, operate like that from the day one, let everybody know, and give everybody the option if they want to participate in something like that. And uh, going back to speaking your truth, um, you mentioned in the book that uh, tone of voice mm -hmm. is very important. And so being married and kind of speaking to the married couples uh, that are in the room, can you speak more on that tone and voice when you're trying to communicate to that, uh, the woman trying to communicate to that uh, doll or lust in her husband? Yeah, that, that tone is everything. It's, it's, we can have the right message, but the wrong delivery. Yeah. Amen. And, and that's two, me too. It's right, a, a two-way street. It's a two-way street. And, and there's sometimes, you know, I'll say something um, to Megan, you know, and um, she will just look at me. <laughs> like, ooh, where, where, where you been? You know what I mean? It's not that what you said I disagree with, but how you said it. You know, and so tone is everything. And the same thing for men. It's like, as men, you know, we, we, when that tone ain't the right tone, I mean, it's almost literally like the hair on the back of our head sticks up, you know. It's like, well, wait a minute, baby, you know. There's a difference between managing and mandating. And that tone was more of a mandate. Like, you're telling me what to do versus, hey, baby, supporting me in what you want me to do. So, tone is everything. And a lot of times, as men and women, we talk at each other, we don't talk with one another. Yeah. And, and, and one of the reasons I don't think we talk with one another all the time and our tone can be off is because a lot of times we get angry at each other for expectations we never expressed. Mm -hmm. So I have an expectation of how you're supposed to be. And this is why, oh man, y'all just got excuse because I just get excited talking about this. <laughs> because this is why it's so important to get clear. Here's what I mean by that. Going back to the gray area. There's an expectation. Oh, well, by a certain period of time, if a man wants to be committed, he'll say such and such. Or if a man really loved me, he'll say such and such. Sometimes there's that, that expectation. But it's unspoken. So we'll have an expectation of what should happen in a relationship. We never actually ask the person, can I expect this of you? So we keep it internal. And then when it doesn't happen according to our unspoken expectation, we get mad at the person and judge them. Yeah. And we say, oh, well, this person clearly isn't serious. Because if they were serious, they would have X, Y, and Z. But sometimes the person is serious, but they have a different experience on how to express seriousness. But because no one has ever talked about it, People start getting an attitude without ever saying, hey, wait a minute. Before I make a judgment of who you are, what you feel, can I expect this of you? Here's what, looks, here's what love looks like to me. Here's what commitment looks like. Can I expect this from you? Give them a chance to say yes or no. Even in a relationship, in a marriage, 
Um, I talk about this. Uh, I don't talk about this in the book. I actually preached on this. So uh, when I got married, I thought, okay, wait. That means, you know, I've been told when you get married, uh, your wife cooks for you. <laughs> Amen, y'all. Not so hard. Not so fast. Not so fast. So um, I came into the marriage with an expectation she was going to cook. So at, at first, you know, and, and, and I'm not speaking out of school. Maybe we'll be okay with this. I hope. If not, maybe I'm sorry. I just want to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, so she was cooking. And then she had one recipe in her repertoire, that baked chicken. She had that baked chicken. It was cooked. She had it down. So pretty much the beginning of the marriage, when I would come home, you know, I, I could count on that smell of baked chicken. Man, it was good. Um, she ended up booking a, a TV show. Ended up going to New York for almost uh, about nine months. Came home, and my thought was, "Oh, cool, we about to get back into this big chicken." <laughs> Come home. Mm. Mm, smell no chicken. <laughs> I got to go to the microwave. No, I go to the refrigerator. Okay. I was like, you know what? She's tired. This would happen time and time again. Finally, it was weeks that passed by. There was no chicken. <laughs> And so, so again, unspoken expectation. Inside, <laughs> I started getting mad. Well, I thought you loved me. Well, if you love me, don't you know you're supposed to cook? This is what I was thinking in my head. And then what happened is my actions, I began to get distant and cold. She's like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, I'm good. But on the inside, I had an unspoken expectation that I never asked her what I expected from her. Yeah. And then I was judging her based upon my meeting, something she never agreed to. Yeah. You see how crazy that is? Yeah, yeah. But we do it all the time. Yeah. So finally, got to the point where her and I spoke, and I said, babe, you know, why aren't you cooking? And she's like, well, I'm tired. You know, I just got, from, got home from this, this shoot and everything, and, and, and she's like, oh, so that's how you, why you've been acting that way. And I'll be honest with you, I was embarrassed. And here's why. Because love is supposed to be unconditional. Whether she cooks or not, I should be offering love freely. But because I had an unspoken expectation, I was holding her hostage to something she never agreed to. And I never even asked her, hey, babe, can I expect you to cook? Is that something that is part of our dynamic? And when she expressed how she felt, I said, you know what? As long as we can come home together and eat, it doesn't matter who cooks. We can order food, I can cook, whatever. I'm no longer going to put that as an expectation on the marriage. And you know what happened? Everything went to another level. Because so often... I believe women endure so much abuse on the way to marriage. And in marriage, sometimes these expectations can be another form of abuse. Versus, oh, if, if, if I cook, then you'll love me? Well, what about just loving me? And so that's what I began to practice. Maybe I love you no matter what. Who cares if you cook? You know, and maybe one day I'll get some more baked chicken. I don't know. But I'm happy. Just the way it is. Right. Well, you know what? Um, do you think the thrill of the it's a good question. Will the thrill of the hunt ever die for the man? Uh, no. Um, here's what it is. Every man struggles. We have love and lust. We have the master of the dog. And we live in a world that used to be more predisposed to uh, handle the adventurous nature of men. Meaning, we used to have to go, you know, kill the food, make the fires. The world was more adventurous. Currently, anything that we want, we just take out our phone. We have an app. We can do it. Here's the danger. Because we have an adventurous nature, so often we end up finding um, satisfaction for that adventure in womanizing. And women become our conquest and satisfaction for adventure. And that is a destructive path. And I put that in the book to say we have to resist the temptation to become womanizers as a way to satisfy this adventurous nature. What I say is a healthy way is put it into something positive. 
You know, what's the business you want to start? What's the book you want to write? What's the uh, the movie you want to, you know, my brother will be writing screenplays. Put it into something positive. You know, take that adventurous nature and find other things that you can become adventurous in. And the biggest adventure is conquering self. The biggest adventure is getting control. The biggest adventure is having discipline. So we have to turn that need for adventure from out there to in here. And that's how we can still satisfy uh, something that is a part of it. Okay, well, I did want to ask you, because you mentioned watching porn in the book as well. And so I had to ask, I know you, in the book you mentioned you're, you don't feel that people should really uh, watch porn, but what if you as a couple decide to watch porn? What do you think about that? Do you still think that that's detrimental to the man yeah. the relationship. Well, yeah, I mentioned this on The Breakfast Club because uh, Angeli had a similar uh, question. And, you know, when I talk about porn in the book, you know, I talk about um, there's a difference between uh, soul food and dog food. Uh, soul food is virtue, dog food is vice. And anything that's a vice ends up feeding the dog. Anything that's a virtue feeds the master. I believe in order to be who we're called to be, we have to keep the master healthy by consistently consuming virtue and resisting anything that falls in the vice category. So even in a marriage situation, or a relationship situation, again, I'm not judging what anybody wants to do in their, their relationship or marriage, that's between them and the person they're doing it with. I'm not in the room with them. Right. So I'm not gonna sit up here and judge them. In terms of, is it on the dog side or the master side? I believe pornography fits on the dog food side, on the vice side. It becomes a world that people can go down uh, and sometimes nothing becomes enough. You see things that are not real. You know, I'm, I'm a producer, I produce film. You know, and I can tell you, you know, we set up scenes in order to give the imagery as if it's real, but we made it all up. Right. So when you deal with pornography, you have to be very careful, especially when you're in your relationship with marriage, because you start to see things in a fantasy and a presentation that is not real. It's all produced, and so what that can do to a marriage or what that can do to a relationship can be ultimately very destructive in the long term. Again. Whatever someone chooses to do, that's between them. But I still stand behind when I wrote the book that pornography still fits on the on the dog food side and feeds a dog and it's a vice. Okay. Well, we have about five minutes left, so I want to do some like fill in the blanks real quick. Um, All right. So you're just going to fill in the blank of the sentence. You ready? <laughs> I don't know. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on what sentences we go talk about. You're right. <laughs> okay. So the first one, the life obstacles I would keep are blank. The life obstacles I would keep are blank. Um, wow. Man, I mean, you know, the obstacle, the, great, the greatest obstacle is myself. Okay. And I would keep that obstacle. I like that answer. All right. So um, I often think about blank when my mind starts to wander to that. Starts wonders to say. My wife. Any other answer to that question? So women that do blank annoy me. Women? Women that do blank annoy me. I don't know. I don't think that's one to answer. I love everything women do. I answer, and you ain't getting me on record saying that women don't. No, you're not. Uh -oh. Okay, I stimulate my relationship by doing blank. Love, love, putting her knees above mine. Um, I do blank when I pregame for sex. What in the world? <laughs> you had it at 
is it? All night. I pray. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, please help us to pray. Come on, Lord, in the room, in the name of Jesus. Come on, the room. Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what time is it? Man, that was bad. I know. 8.03. 8.03. So now you have to start taking pictures and signing books and all that stuff.